Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Basically, what makes this time of testing so significant. If you have time today, I'd recommend you look at this um, parallel passage in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, and the account of these 40 days has more description in those books. We just get a glimpse of it here in Mark, but just think of this for a moment. 40 days in the desert being buffeted by Satan. 40 days of being tempted by the deceiver of the brethren, by Lucifer. Jesus is all God, but something we must never forget, folks, is that he is also all man. One of the earliest heresies denied the humanity of Jesus Christ. The third century church father Origen coined a term, a theological term that we still use today. I'm using it as the title of this message. The God-man, we must never forget, he is all God but he's all man. He's entirely human. And these 40 days of trial and temptation in the desert with Satan are going to be unimaginable. They're going to be absolutely brutal. The question that comes to my mind as I read this passage is why? Why would God the Spirit drive God the Son, the beloved Son, into the wilderness to experience a time of cruel and intense temptation and suffering? Why? Because of His love for us. So that we would have a God who could identify with the human experience so that we would have a God who would fully understand our weaknesses, so that we would have a God who would be empathetic. Make no mistake, it was God the Spirit who drove Jesus into the desert, and he did it for us. This didn't just happen. It was by God's design. C.S. Lewis wrote these words. It's too bad that we now need God's help so that he can do something which he never does at all. He never surrenders. He never suffers, submits, or dies. Nothing in God is like that at all. So the one road we need God for is a road God has never walked. God can only share what he has experienced. But supposing God became a man. Suppose our human nature, which can suffer and die, was amalgamated with God's nature in one person. Then that person could surrender his will and suffer. And that person could die because he was man. And he could do it perfectly because he was God. But we cannot share God's dying unless he dies. 
and he cannot die except by being a man. That is how he pays our debt and suffers for us what he himself didn't need to suffer for, but he did because of his love for us. God the Spirit drove God the Son into the desert. One of the names given to Jesus is Emmanuel. We see songs about this at Christmas. And of course, you know what it means, God with us. What a beautiful name. God with us. Jesus has flesh and bone and blood. He is all human. He is not a distant God. He is not God far away. He is God with us. And here he is with the wild animals in the wilderness, with Satan, experiencing all this on our behalf. He has shared with us the heights of the human experience as well as its depths. We have a God who experiences he has shared in our every weakness except one. He did not sin. Because we have a God who experiences, and I've already hinted at this, but we have a God who empathizes. This is so important. Empathy means this, to identify with another's feelings. Man, do we have a shortage of empathy today, do we not? We need empathy. We need to identify with others, with their suffering, their feelings. Well, Jesus has empathy for us. He's qualified to relate to us in our time of need. He is qualified to carry our burdens because when he came to earth, folks, he did not float around in a celestial bubble. When you read the gospel accounts of his humanity, what you conclude, his physical nature was not aided by his divine nature in a way that made his experience unrelatable. He suffered fully. He experienced all that humanity could bring. He fully embraced the human experience. So know this this morning. He knows what you're going through. Do you really believe that? That he knows? And what's more, he understands. That's what's amazing. And even better, he empathizes. He sees your weaknesses and he empathizes. He identifies with it because he has experienced unimaginable physical pain. He knows unfairness thinkable emotional despair he knows absolute loneliness some of you are lonely even though you're surrounded by people well he knows loneliness he knows loss he has shared in our humanity and he even knows the wilderness of death he knows the wilderness of life and he knows the wilderness of death Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 14 through 18. And we're going to see that in this passage that he not only faced the wilderness of life for us, but also the wilderness of death. Verse 14. Excuse me. Since therefore the children share in flesh 
and blood, that's us, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That's the incarnation. He became like the children. He shared in flesh and blood that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Once again, us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. One of the very reasons Jesus became a man, as C.S. Lewis said, was so that he could die. In his divine state, he was indestructible. You couldn't kill him. In order to die, he had to become vulnerable and mortal. And so he clothes himself with flesh and blood so that he might die. And as the writer of Hebrews says, destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil. And he was made like us in every respect so that he could become our substitute. To die for the sins of man, he had to become a man. He had to become like us. A human savior was needed because human beings had sinned. And we needed a substitutionary sacrifice. To die for the sins of man, he had to become a man. To die, he had to become mortal. And he became like us in every way, as the writer of Hebrews says, with one exception. He never sinned. He lived the perfect life, the life that we could never live. And then Jesus, the guiltless one, dies for the guilty ones. He's punished on behalf of sinners. He absorbed the fullness of the Father's wrath against sin. That's what the writer of Hebrews means when he says he made propitiation. Big theological word. Here's what it means. He became the object of the wrath of God for our sin. Not his sin. He didn't have any. God spared none of his wrath against sin. He poured it out in full. And Jesus absorbed it. No one deserves suffering less, and yet no one in history has received it more. And the writer of Hebrews says, because he suffered when he was tempted, he is a sympathetic and merciful and compassionate high priest. He is the God who empathizes. This is such a rich truth. Verse 18 of chapter 2, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So let me take this Hebrews 2, 14 through 18 and just squeeze it all together here and draw some points out of it. In his living, the incarnation, and subsequently his life, Jesus becomes the law keeper for all those who despair of saving themselves and they cling to the cross. 
You see, we didn't just need Jesus' dying. We needed his living. And he lives the life that we could not. He meets the righteous requirements that the law demanded. And when we take him as our treasure and trust in him, he becomes our law keeper. And then he dies. And in his dying, he becomes the curse bearer for all who despair of saving themselves and they trust Jesus because he satisfied the righteous requirement that the law demanded from sinners. So he lives for us and in doing so, he performs our righteousness and then he dies for us and he bears our punishment. And when we take him as our God, the God-man becomes our savior, our righteousness. He bears our punishment. He performs our righteousness. So in this passage, what we have is the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus all working together to free us from what the writer of Hebrews calls bondage to fear of death. You shouldn't fear death as a Christian. Because Jesus has faced the wilderness of death on your behalf. And he has triumphed. I had the privilege. My wife's like, every time you get in the pulpit, you cry. (laughs) I had the privilege of leading my grandmother to Christ in the late 90s. She's in heaven now. She feared death so much. Every time I talked to her about spiritual matters, she talked about a fear of dying. Well, I remember being at her place in El Cajon. Again, I think it was 98, 99, not sure, but she said, I'm ready, Matt. And she grabbed my hands and we prayed and we wept. And my grandmother, as she was growing in her walk with Jesus, she walked with him for about 15 years. That fear of death just dissipated. And I remember one of my last times with her, she lived to be 103, by the way. (laughs) Ambulatory, acute, she was something else. But one of my last times with her, she grabbed my hand. She put it on her chest and she goes, I can't wait until Jesus puts his hand right there. She passed shortly after. The fear of death was gone. We should not live in bondage of fear of death any longer. You see, what made death so horrifying was not just death itself. It was the prospect of dying in our sins and being eternally separated from God in conscious, terrifying torment. That's what made death so horrifying. But he has faced the wilderness of death for us, so death no longer should bring fear to those who follow Christ because when he rose from the dead, he defeated sin and death and therefore therefore removed fear. So the writer of Hebrews says, he conquered death and he delivered us from the fear of death. This is what Paul the apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize Paul the apostle is mocking death? That great and final enemy is done, and he says, I'm not afraid of you. 
Where's your victory? And then he says, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. But for those who've trusted in Christ, he is their curse bearer. And then he says, the power of sin is the law. But those who trust in Christ have Jesus as their law keeper. And then he says, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm victorious in death. Paul the apostle did not fear death and neither should we because he knew that Christ had faced the wilderness of death on his behalf. He knew he was forgiven. He knew he was righteous. And so he mocked death. And not only did he mock death, folks, but he does something that is completely counterhuman. He says that death is gain. Now, who talks like that? Do you know a lot of people who talk about death being gain? Paul did. Most people fear death because they're, they're afraid to be separated from all that life gives them. And they're afraid what comes after. Paul feared neither. He said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain in Philippians 1.21. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Death is not lost for those who trust Christ. Death is just a doorway. C.H. Spurgeon said, death is nothing more than God's fiery chariot sent to usher his children into the presence of the Father. Beautiful picture of death. It's God sending the fiery chariot saying, son and daughter, it's time for you to come up here. It's transportation. It's time for you to come home. That's what death is for the believer. Now I want to emphasize something here. That the cross, just like Jesus' time in the wilderness, was no accident. The Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. And you might say that God the Father drove Jesus to the cross. The cross was carefully orchestrated by the Father. The cross was not God's plan be for a world that had gone bad, folks. It's not as if God was going, oh my gosh, I made millions of these horrible creatures. I got to fix it now. It was plan A. The cross was God's plan A. That's what Revelation 13, 8 says. Christ was slain from the foundations of the earth before the earth was ever formed Jesus was slain. God the Father drove Jesus to the cross. Isaiah 53.10, that wonderful prophetic passage, says, It was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. The cross was suffering by design and obedience. By the way, it's not safe to follow a God who carefully orchestrated the death of his son but it is wonderful. C.S. Lewis in Chronicles of Narnia, I, I seem to quote a lot of children's books here. Beaver says that Aslan is not safe, but he's good. Oh, Aslan's safe? No. But he's good. 
just as the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. God the Father drove Jesus to the cross. And when our sins were placed on him, the Bible tells us that God the Father forsook his own son. It's one of the most startling passages in all of the Bible, I believe, when he was on the cross and he was bearing the Father's wrath for our sin. He was clothed with the the dregs of our sin, unrighteousness, evil. He was clothed with that. He cried out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In all of his prayers, in all of his conversations with the Father, he always addressed him as the Father, but not now. No longer Father. God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus, who knew no sin, became the substitute for sinners, God the Father turned his eyes away from his son for a time. He forsook him. The perfect fellowship that Christ had known with the Father and the Spirit from eternity past was disrupted. I don't understand it. The Godhead wasn't severed, but there was a disruption to the intimacy that they shared. I've heard Jesus described as the most God-forsaken man that ever lived. And so I ask the question again, why? Why would God the Father, who loves the Son, He says, I love him. I'm well pleased with him. Why would he subject his beloved son to such horrific suffering and separation? Why? So that our sins could be removed. So that we could be declared forgiven. Righteous. And so that we would have a savior who could sympathize with broken people like you and me. God the Father forsook his son. Get this, so you and I would never be forsaken. Hebrews says, he will never leave us or forsake us. Never. Because God forsook the son, we will never be forsaken. God the Father subjected his son to unimaginable hostilities so that the hostility between God and man created by our sin could be brought to an end. Jesus knows pain, folks. He knows temptation. He knows suffering because he is shared in our humanity. So as we face the wilderness of life, And life is a wilderness. As we face the wilderness of life and death, Jesus is qualified to attend us, to aid us, to comfort us. He knows, he understands, he's experienced life. He is empathetic toward us. In fact, listen to these words from Hebrews 4. Love this passage, verse 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We do not have a high priest. This is really good news who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because he has faced temptation in every respect as we have, but he did not sin. So the writer says, come boldly. Come with confidence into the throne room of grace, not because of what you've done, but because of what he did on your behalf. So are you in a time of particular need today? I know some of you are. Some of you, maybe it's smooth sailing right now. Well, it won't last forever. (laughs) You'll be in need at some point. But maybe you're here this morning and you're in a time of particular need or you are carrying burdens that feel like they're just going to crush you. Listen to this. Transfer the weight of those burdens to shoulders that are bigger and broader than yours. He understands. He's sympathetic and merciful and compassionate. Whatever trials you're facing or temptations are overwhelming you, whatever it is, listen to the words of the writer of Hebrews. Come boldly to the throne room of grace and receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Mercy is God withholding the punishment we deserve, and he preserved justice by punishing Jesus in our place. The mercy wasn't free. It cost Jesus' life. Mercy is the withholding of deserved punishment. And the writer says, come boldly and receive that. He's your law keeper, your curse bearer. And then grace, unmerited favor. Receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Unmerited favor. The righteousness of Christ is yours. So come boldly. He sympathizes with our weaknesses The God-man has faced the wild and triumphed. I want you to think of something this morning that occurred to me as I was working on this message. His are real hands. They're real hands. They have scars. They are proof that he knows suffering. Those scars are not only a reminder that he faced life, but he faced death on our behalf. They are a reminder of his love for us. I think of my grandma. She says, I can't wait to hold his hands. Do you realize we're going to hold his hands one day? They're real hands. He's not a phantom. He's not a ghost. They are real hands, and one day we will hold those hands. C.S. Lewis said it best. God has landed on this enemy-occupied planet in human form. God-man versus wild. He faced the wild of life and the wilderness of death on our behalf. And he has triumphed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the incarnation and what it means for us. Thank you for sending Jesus 
to this sin-ridden planet in human form. Thank you, Spirit of God, for driving him into the desert on our behalf. And Father, we thank you for the cross, for sending him there for us. He didn't go begrudgingly, God. He said, not my will, but your will be done. He did this so that we might be brought into fellowship with you. And you could have taken the record of our debt, God, the record of our sin. You could have taken that record and held it in front of our faces as a warrant to condemn us to hell. You could have done that. But instead, you took the record of our sins. You placed them in the palm of your son's hand and you nailed them to the cross. We thank you, God, for mercy and grace. And I pray for your people here today. God, whatever they're facing, may they come boldly to you to receive mercy and grace that they need. In Jesus' name. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.